welcome to There's Sumter About It. Joining me today is my friend, Dr. Latoya Gaines, a clinical psychologist. Dr. Gaines has extensive experience treating children, adolescents, and adults. Today, we're excited to talk about the future of wellness. A year before the pandemic in 2019, Dr. Gaines opened a practice called Culture of Wellness Psychological Services. The practice provides individual, couples, and family counseling, as well as psychological assessments. Throughout her training and career, Dr. Gaines has worked in a variety of settings that include large urban school-based programs, hospitals, and diagnostic centers. She is truly becoming renowned in the industry. She's blushing right now. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Gaines trained at Rutgers University, Seton Hall University, and completed her clinical internship and postdoctoral fellowship at Yale School of Medicine in the Department of Psychiatry. I want to personally thank you for being a healthcare hero throughout the pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Gaines, to their Sumter About It. Thank you, Shavonda. Oh, my goodness. That bio sounds so different when you read it. <laughs> it is all you, all you, all your hard work. Well, I definitely appreciate the invitation to come and speak with you today. Thank you. It's important that we bring forth uh, legitimate voices who are working in this space. Uh, I like to make it fun. I like to share uh, the friends and the little cousins that I have who are working in this space. I've known Dr. Gaines since she was a young teenager, and I've watched her career trajectory. And to have her sitting before us today as a doctor working in mental health, a woman of color, a rock star, I'm honored. I'm definitely blushing now. If I wasn't before, I am now. So I really want you to you know, share with us how you selected this career path, because you could have done anything. The stars were the limit, but you really chose a space that is rare air uh, to really help people with their social, emotional, and mental health well-being. Yeah, so I'm going to try and make a very long story shorter. Okay. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. <laughs> so I started out, I actually wanted to be a teacher. My mom you know, was in education. My aunts were in education. And so I really just thought I was going to be a teacher. I've always liked children, working with children. So I went to college and I took my first psychology class and fell in love, oh, basically. Wow. Yeah. Great. Intro to psych. That mm -hmm. was my favorite class. And then when I learned that you can become a school psychologist, still work in the schools and do counseling and psychological testing, I said, oh, this might be the career path for me. So did all the training, got into the school system. And then what I noticed was there was something about the children that I was working with that I couldn't explain, okay. something that I wasn't adequately prepared to deal with. Now, I was working in a very urban school system. So I, I felt like I needed more training to really connect with the kids sure. and really figure out what it is that they were struggling with. And I didn't have the language for it at that time, but I came to find out it was trauma. Ah, Yes, that word, the T word, big T. <laughs> yes, trauma, because it oh. wasn't that the children couldn't learn. Okay. And I felt like there was a lot of children being referred for special education that maybe shouldn't be there because it wasn't quite learning disabilities. But there was something else that was going on that I just didn't have the words for. Okay. And, and you chose to uh, follow that path, even though you sort of tripped 
Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Into that space. Absolutely. Wonderful, yep. wonderful. And yet you come from a lineage of, of strong teachers, uh, and which is the backbone mm-hmm. uh, of the African-American community. Um, and I can tout my success to a number of teachers who really just invested and, and went the step further than just the yes. classroom didactics. Mm-hmm. So how did you pivot? At that point, and I know your undergraduate studies was at uh, Montclair State University, Mm -hmm. uh, into really pursuing that. Did you find a mentor in that space? Yes. So when I was, so after I had gotten my bachelor's, my master's was in school psych, and you have to do an internship. And so I was doing my internship at one of the... um, one of the most challenging schools in the district. Okay. Yes. And my mentor at the time... um, she told me, you know, there's a way that you learn about things in a textbook. That's true. And then there's a way that we do it in the real world. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, huh, okay. Another <laughs> light bulb, right? Right. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Because nothing in the textbooks right. prepared me for what I was you know, sure. encountering mm-hmm. every day. Um, so shout out to Miss Nobles. Uh, um, yes. That's the teacher shout outs here, <laughs> <Yes>. absolutely. <laughs> um, she was my first real mentor in the field of psychology. She's a school psychologist. And um, she, with her sort of training and guidance in terms of, you know, tailoring what we learn to fit our communities, our black and brown communities. Yes. She was the one that really inspired me to kind of go back to school and learn more about how to deal with the clinical aspects, because I felt at that point that I just, I wanted to do more. Okay. I want to and, and when you talk about uh, learning the clinical aspects of black and brown communities, we talk about stigmas, we talk about it being different, although we're all of the human species, mm-hmm. if you will. What are some of those differences that you find, uh, especially in children, which is really, you know, the malleable age, if you will, where if you have trauma, it's often said that if you diagnose it early, it's treatable. You can grow, have healthy lives from it, but sometimes you can't quite put your finger on it. What are some of the differences in treating a black and brown child versus general population or a non-person of color? Yeah, I think one of the things is really getting to understand what can lead to trauma and what that looks like for each person, because we can experience the same thing. Right but have different reactions to it. And growing up in a really urban environment, that predisposes us to a lot of things that early, early on that mm-hmm. maybe some of our counterparts that grow up in other areas don't really have to experience. And so we have to take those things into account, including, you know, violence, including poverty, including, um, you know, cultural traditions, um, all of those things that sort of make up the whole person, right? We have Mm -hmm. to take all of those things into account and not just look at it as a cluster of symptoms, like Mm checkboxes. Like, if I don't see this, then it's not there. If I don't see this, then it's not there. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. Did you bring that into your clinical training I had to learn it. Okay. I had to learn it. I think being an African-American woman myself, I feel like there was like this feeling that mm-hmm. I had, right? Like this gut feeling that... It was intuitive. It was, yeah. There was, it was something that I was picking up on that maybe wasn't explicitly stated. Right. And shout out to all of my professors that I had. But if you don't have firsthand experience of what it's like to be a person of color, mm-hmm. there are some blind spots there. There, there are just some things you don't know how to address and some right. things you don't know how to talk about. And up until I went for my doctorate training, um, the majority, the vast majority 
of the professors that I had were white. And they did a great job in teaching me, like I said, the textbook. Yes. But then there were things that weren't necessarily included in my training that I felt intuitively needed to be addressed. I just didn't sure. know how to do that in the right way. Okay. And so when I got to Rutgers, I was very fortunate to have black woman psychologists Beautiful, right. that were on faculty that really took me under their wing um, and sort of helped me, I think, merge what I was already understanding intuitively mm-hmm. plus what I was learning clinically in okay. the classroom to, you know, better address, I feel, the needs of our community. And then you were able to, because Rutgers does a great job with trauma. Yes. And I saw some of your clinical rotation has been in trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you find entering that space? Because you're relatively young. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you're talking about heavy stuff and trying to get young people as well as adults to open up to you on some sensitive things that we really try to repress. And I say we, as a woman of color, mm-hmm. uh, being a part of a larger community, uh, that we're always told to just push forward, right? That was yesterday, move forward into today. Mm-hmm. How do you, How do you, you know, just dive right into that space and crack that open. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I learned that I use with me and I probably will use until, you know, I'm finished with this career is that it's all about the relationship. You you can't do anything in a mental health space if a relationship is not present. So, you know, I had to learn that we don't go and just dive into symptoms and how to help and how to fix it and how to educate and how to oh, do. Oh, we can't just put the superwoman cape no. on and just fix it. That doesn't really work, you know. <laughs> you have to go in and you have to establish yourself as a person that, you know, you can re- you can relate to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to make this person feel comfortable. You have to, because trauma is very difficult to talk about. Sure. Um, a lot of people don't understand the symptoms of it. Um a lot of people. So back us up. Give us yes, some symptoms. Yes. Of it. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Give us some symptoms, Doc. <laughs> yes. So if you've experienced a traumatic event, one of the things um, that you can experience as a result is something called hypervigilance. Mm. So meaning like you're constantly on edge, sort of looking around, um, on guard, you know, um, trying to prevent danger from happening again. So sure. it's like this constant feeling of, you know, what's about to happen? What's about to happen? Right. So that's one thing. Another thing is, um, you can have flashbacks, you can have nightmares, you can have intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. about the incident that's happened. So that makes it difficult to concentrate. That makes it difficult to focus. Um, you can also just have a high arousal okay. level. So always having a lot of energy, feeling so like a little bit much, of restless. Huh? It doesn't take much. So imagine, you know, a first grader. You know, who's experiencing some things at home, right, and is showing up to school and is on edge, is restless, can't concentrate, you know, has difficulty paying attention to the teacher, uh, startled easily. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that can be mischaracterized as maybe like ADHD. Yes. You know, or something else. We've seen that often. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's really important to understand that some of these things can actually be attributed to trauma. And then how do we... Uh, equipped our schools and our teachers. Uh, one, one of the great things, at least in the state of New Jersey, is that we have student assistant counselors and we have full departments. Um, how do we teach the techniques, especially for that first grader and into families, really, to, to address the trauma in, how, in healthy ways of, of coping, if you will? Yeah, so the good thing is that trauma can be healed through relationships. Mm. 
Okay. I think that's really important for people to know. So back to relationships. Yes, back to relationships. Because we're, as humans, we are created for connectedness. We're created for relationships. That's true. We're, you know... We're people that run in groups. Yes. You, you know what I mean? So, yes. so that's I'm how, just thinking of Noah's Ark, right? two of everything. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Since the beginning of time, right. you know? Um, so I think that's important for everyone to know that, you know, we can heal this through the context of relationships, but it also takes a certain level of education and how to be trauma-informed and trauma-sensitive. So knowing the Mm -hmm. symptoms, right? And knowing sort of um, how to make people feel safe if they've been through something really, really difficult. So it's educating teachers about uh, maybe when to engage and when to give space. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's a skill. Is is. is that something you find more common today than in the past, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, or is it still a work in progress? (laughs) (laughs) I think overall as a field, Mm -hmm. we are coming around to really honoring the impact of trauma Mm. um, and really sort of pushing out information to school systems, to community agencies about trauma and what it could look like and, you know, how we can sort of heal trauma. So I think we're doing a better job now than we were, but I also think we still have a long way to go. So you've been running some virtual series uh, which have been exciting. I mean, I looked at the flyer and you had all these high power women of color uh, <laughs> speaking truth to power in the mental health space. Yes. First, tell us how you came up with that idea and then tell us about this cluster of dynamic women that you have in your wheelhouse that you're sharing and gifting to the world now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, July was Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, and I feel that it's important to always promote mental health in our community um, and make ourselves available. There is a shortage of therapists of color, number one. Um, And number two, where we are, people don't always know how to find us. That's true. Um, And these conversations are difficult. You're the best kept secret. (laughs) (laughs) That's kept a secret. Why, thank you. (laughs) But um, I really wanted to do something to um, just engage the community um, and also make ourselves more visible Mm. to the community also. And so I went to my pastor, our pastor. Yes, yes. yes. (laughs) St. Luke Baptist Church. We're giving a shout-out in Patterson, New Jersey. (laughs) I went to our pastor and I said, look, we have to do something. And I didn't even care, you know, what his response was. I was, we're going to do it. It was going to happen anyway. Yes, it was going to happen by any means necessary. Woman on a mission. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so, you know, through discussion, we kind of talked about what topics would probably be the most relevant coming off of the pandemic, coming off of racial tension in this country and sort of what kinds of things that we can dialogue. And some of those topics were? And some of those topics were um, how to cope with grief, um, how to parent during stressful times, Mm. and also how to take care of yourself as a caregiver. Yes, that's a big one. As I take care of my 80-year-old mother, I needed you back when I was a parent to teens, but they're adults now, so they survived and (laughs) I survived. Wonderful adults. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But yeah, so we did these weekly series um, where we, I sort of dialogued with the therapist that I um, invited to join me, all really good friends of mine um, that I respect and that are out there also doing great work. Did you train with each other? You know what? what 
That's um, what I wasn't clear on. Yeah, so actually one of them, she's Dr. Taj Burrow, she is an occupational therapist that yeah. we worked together when I was doing my uh, internship and postdoc training. Great. And we have remained friends, um, even though we're in separate spaces now, we have remained friends. Um, and she's a mental 